former president dismissed a reporter's question with the rubric, well, you've never been judged by the color of your skin. The reporter's response, I just have. Who do you think took the heat on that one? You can figure that out. This is where we are. But as individuals, no one has to be there. Each of us can think critically and come to our own conclusions regardless of the mass think mentality. And that's the truth. And we're TNN, the Truth News Network, and Dan Newman. Groupthink, tribalism, elitism, all those ism words that are out there floating around. And we think, you know what, this is just a fad. You know, these people are coming up with these words to try to confuse us. Well, yes, they are. Think about all of the different versions of sex. Names of sexes that people choose, and they're demanding that we know them all. And let me say this. There are several hundred names for gender that have been developed, and there are people out there that are weaponizing against people that don't understand and therefore don't reference people based upon their perspective, their personal choice of what their gender is. Mass confusion, misunderstanding, hatred, anger. This is the United States of America, and I didn't want to go down this road But you and I are together going down this road whether we want to be on it or not. Here at TNN Live, we do our darndest, our best to come up with answers, solutions, and give you positive ideas and thoughts of how to deal with all this stuff. Sometimes we knock a home run. Sometimes we strike out. Nobody knows everything about everything. But I can tell you one thing is for sure. Everything is about everything. It all goes into the making of who we are, what we think, how we think, what we hate, what we love. All of those elements work together to make us who we are. This used to be the number one nation on the planet in every category. Do you remember that? I don't think we've been there in this century, but I think back in the mid to late 90s, we were there and we just let it all crumble and fade away. There are shreds of it left, things that are good, people that are good, people who want only good, just not a lot of those people in Washington, D.C. If you were on with us Tuesday, our second hour, Steve Baker joined us, and he told us a shocking fact that he's learned in Washington. He works very closely with members of Congress's staff people on a lot of the big issues of the day. They do all the background stuff and then their bosses go out in the public eye in committee hearings and testimony, etc. And those are the people that we see and hear talk about everything. But we don't know those people. I guess the person in Congress that I know the very best is my congressman, Mike Johnson, who you hear here quite a bit. You'll hear him in the upcoming days coming back to kind of give us the latest on everything. But Steve Baker told us almost to a person, these staffers make it very clear, 535 members of Congress, that's in the House of Representatives and in the Senate, 535. And all these staffers, the consensus from all of these staffers about how many 
honest, good, say what they mean, mean what they say people in Congress, at most there are a couple of dozen. That should rock all of us to our toes, even if it's off a little bit, even if it's off 50%. Who thinks that people up there that are supposed to be doing one job, and that's to represent the people that voted for them and elected them and sent them up there and said, go be our representatives. And they got the job that they applied for. And then they go up there and job one is to fix their lives so they're on top of the world in every area. And if while they're doing that, they can drop us a little nugget here and there, go ahead and do it, but don't even think about making that a priority. What is the accurate percentage of people that are honest, that are working, that are all in for the American people. It can't be good, and we're watching and living through the results of all of that. And more of this comes out today, and that's what we're here to do, to point you in the direction, not just about bad things going on, but the facts, the truth about those things. Why? Who? What are the circumstances? But more importantly is to get you in a frame of wine, a frame of mind so that on your own you can analyze those things, apply them to your life, or just kick them to the curb if they're not things that you think are important for you to deal with. There's a lot of that up there, believe me. Just because they say it, just because they scream and holler about it, doesn't mean it's one of those things we need to get involved in. In fact, often those things are diversions. So good morning, everybody. How are you? We're going to have a big day today. We're going to look at some inside things. You know, sometimes when we do this show, we all get caught up in the shiny objects that are in front of us in the news and that our people, our friends talk about. We concentrate on those and we miss a lot of other stuff that is really, in many cases, just as important, if not more important, than the shiny things we look at and analyze. We're going to unwrap a few of those things for you this morning. Donald Trump is always in the news. Joe Biden, as always, is in the news. But Joe Biden, well, he's headed to Lake Tahoe. And then finally we hear, yesterday the White House announced that Joe and Jill are going to go to Hawaii on Monday. They're going to meet with first responders and officials as the Biden folks push back on criticism of the president's handling of the deadly wildfire. It's real simple. He ain't done squat. He hadn't done a dadgum thing. 111. That's the body count now in Maui. 111. Most of those people burned to death or suffocated from smoke inhalation. Now, I don't think we're, many of us, going to be able to choose the way that we die. But if we could, if we made a list and we gave it to our loved ones, you know, tell us when we get toward the end of life and I'm not cognizant, here's the list of the top 10 ways I want to die. Probably for me, number 10 on the top 10 list of ways I might want to die, the last on the list would be burning to death. I can't imagine if you've ever burned an appendage, you know, like your fingers or your hands or your toes or your feet, you know how that feels. About 10 years ago, we lived up on a lake 
And in our backyard, the slope of the grass went down to the edge of the water, and we had a bunch of trees. And when you have a bunch of trees in your yard, you know what happens. Tree limbs fall. Sometimes trees fall. And so what I always did is I always built a pile over on the side of the backyard where we kept all of the limbs and leaves and even pieces of trees that had fallen. I'd cut them up and put them over there. And when the weather got good, which meant when it wasn't dry and hot, had a couple of rains in a row and kind of dampened things up so a fire wouldn't spread. And that day came. I went out in the backyard myself and I started the fire on the pile and I had on a pair of slippery shoes and one piece of wood had kind of fallen out of that pile and was off on the side. So I took a hoe and I went down to try to push it back into the fire and the ground had been wet from rain and my feet slipped out from under me and I slid right into that fire, my feet and my legs, up to about my knee. And it took me a couple of moments to get out of the fire because I tried to push myself forward and those slippery shoes slipped every time. So I was burning. The only way I got free of it is I rolled over on my left side and used my hands to push and pull me up away from that fire. And when I did that, when I rolled over, I rolled over on a live coal. And this totally shocked me. I was at the house by myself. Now, we had a three-story house. The middle level was where the master suite, the kitchen, and all that is. And we had bedrooms upstairs and a theater. And so I thought, I got to get in and get some water on this. So I started walking up to the house, got to the door. We had an elevator, got on the elevator and went up. And I went and jumped in our shower when I realized that we had one of those that didn't have hot and cold faucet things. It was one lever that was temperature control. And I didn't want any hot water on my legs. So I ran upstairs, had a handle in one of the showers in one of the bedrooms. I jumped in there and got cold water. And listen, it felt good for a moment just to get something cool on my burning legs. So many things, you know, when you get in a jam, sometimes you you forget about things. You don't even look at or see the obvious of things that you should do or not do in a situation like this. I ran up the yard into the garage, got on the elevator, went upstairs. When I ran, (laughs) I ran right by the swimming pool. (laughs) I could have just gone and jumped in the pool. I didn't think about it, but I'm talking about burning. I can tell you this. It was the worst I've ever hurt in my life. Not so much the actual burn, but recovering from it. And I could go all day and tell you stuff. I'm okay. I don't have any scars. The only scar I have that you can slightly see is where I rolled over on that coal and a piece of my flesh Literally, as I was running up the yard, I looked at it as it slid down my leg. It burned out a chunk of my my left leg just below my knee. That ought to make your breakfast go down a little better this morning. My point is, these people in Maui did not choose for any of that to happen. We call that an emergency situation, I think you would agree. Yeah, 
I mean, people lost everything. It looked like every building in Lahaina, every single building except one church, burnt to the ground. And when you look at the video, drones flying over, helicopters now, it, it everywhere it's just a pile of black and gray ashes, a really hot fire. So those people's lives have been destroyed. They didn't do anything wrong. They didn't deserve that. So on the same day, our president, coming back from his Delaware vacation, got off Marine One on the lawn of the White House, running to the Oval Office. He went by some reporters, and the reporters started shouting at him, Mr. President, what do you have to say about Maui and the people of Maui and this horrible fire? All the number one leader in the world could think of to say was no comment. He had to hurry up and get inside because they were about to make a very important announcement. Joe Biden announced Monday after he had said no comment about Maui, he announced, I'm sending $200 million more dollars to Ukraine. Said nothing about Maui or the people of Maui. All kinds of backlash. Of course, he didn't see or hear any of it, but somebody came in and said, hey, Joe, you might want to turn on the news and look. People are a little hacked off that you hadn't done anything or said anything about Maui. And so he just, as he is, such an alert, quick on the feet leader, he just jumped all over it. Hey, we're going to fix this. And he made a major announcement. Guess what we're doing as taxpayers for the people of Maui? Joe Biden told everybody, no, you're going you're, you're gonna to be unbelievable. You will not believe what he's doing and the content and the context of what he's doing for those people on Maui. Every family unit, everyone, not every person, but every family unit is going to get a one-time payment of $700. While we sent Volodymyr Zelensky another $200 million to put on top of the $72 billion we've already sent those people. We're taking care of Ukrainians, and not all that money is going to Ukraine. It's not going to the government. It's being siphoned off left and right. If you didn't join us yesterday, go back and download yesterday's podcast and listen to that segment. We tell you exactly where a whole bunch of that 70-plus billion dollars that we've sent to them, where it really went, and it wasn't to Ukraine. And then all we can spare, $700 a family unit for those people. 111 of their fellow men, women, and children are dead from a fire. And all we can give those families who lost everything is 700 bucks. Welcome to the Biden administration. Okay, let's get off that. There are so many things we need to talk about. It's funny we have all these diversions in the news. Never, ever get caught believing that the way, the timing, the method, the messaging is not 100% purposeful on anything and everything coming out of Washington. I bet you didn't hear this. A former FBI official who played a key role in that 
Russia, Russia, Russia gate into former President Trump. He pled guilty to conspiracy to provide illegal services to a sanctioned Russian oligarch. Charles McGonagall, a former special agent and chief of counterintelligence at the FBI's New York field office, he pled guilty to money laundering and conspiring to violate the International Emergency Economic Powers Act. That's in connection to services provided to Oleg Deripaska, a sanctioned Russian oligarch. McGonagall was a key player spearheading the Crossfire Hurricane Probe, informally referred to as Russiagate, back in 2016, which that was the investigation into the Trump campaign's, you know, those ties to Vladimir Putin and Russia that Hillary Clinton and her campaign concocted, along with James Comey in the FBI. And others in the FBI, by the way. Charles McGonagall, by his own admission, he betrayed his oath and actively concealed his illicit work at the bidding of a sanctioned Russian oligarch. That's from Assistant Attorney General of the DOJ's National Security Division, Matthew Olson. Today's plea shows the DOJ's resolve to pursue and dismantle the illegal networks that Russian oligarchs use to try to escape the reach of our sanctions and evade our laws. McGonagall was one of the first FBI agents involved in that crossfire hurricane operation, ultimately became a 22-month and $32 million probe that found no evidence of collusion between Trump and Russia. That's according to the New York Post. But still today, Democrats are all pointing back at it, and they're saying in droves, still, Donald Trump was not elected president. Vladimir Putin manipulated the election returns. I'm serious. Hillary Clinton and others, big-name Democrats, are still making the same outlandish claims. Oh, by the way, but we're not supposed to be able to say that. Things like that you can't say. If you do, you're going to get indicted. You're going to have 100-plus particular claims made against you by various offices of the Department of Justice, kind of like Donald Trump. But if you're a Democrat, you get a free pass. <laughs> Other things coming up on the show today. Do you remember all of the Black Lives Matter protests where they occurred and the damages that were done? People were hurt. Tens of millions of dollars worth of damages. People lost their life savings in businesses that they had saved up and started and Black Lives Matter terrorists, you can call them activists if you want, but they were terrorists back in that particular summer, back in 20, what was that, 2019, 2020? Anyway, you know the summer I'm talking about. Well, there was a lawsuit that was just dropped against BLM. A court has revived a lawsuit that claims Washington, D.C., the District of Columbia, selectively enforced a statute to arrest pro-life activists, but didn't, didn't arrest a single Black Life Matter protester. A federal appeals court ruled to, uh, yesterday 3-0 
that the Washington, D.C., D.C. court had wrongly dismissed a pro-life activist lawsuit that accused the city of violating their First Amendment rights. The city allegedly used a defacement statute to arrest them while the city permitted Black Lives Matter protesters to mark property with no consequences. It was the summer of 2020. I was kind of right. At the same time that happened, thousands of BLM protesters went to the streets in Washington, covering public spaces with paint, with chalk. Two pro-life activists were arrested for chalking the words, Black Preborn Lives Matter, on one public sidewalk in Washington. The Frederick Douglass Foundation and Students for Life of America, who organized the pro-life protest that day, filed the lawsuits over their arrest, plausibly alleged that the statute's enforcement was viewpoint discrimination. Now, where does that come from? First Amendment. First Amendment. U.S. Court of Appeals for D.C., they determined that, reviving the pro-life protesters' legal case and remanding the case back to the district court to resolve. In other words, y'all go make a rendering coming from the rule of law and not your personal political opinions. The First Amendment prohibits discrimination on the basis of viewpoint, irrespective of the government's motive. That's from Circuit Judge Naomi Rao, a Trump appointee, by the way, and that was in the opinion for the court. We hold the foundation has plausibly alleged the district discriminated on the basis of viewpoint and the selective enforcement of its defacement ordinance. We don't ever hear about these things, do we? And you know why? It's one of the conundrums, one of the evils, one of the things that we are morphing back into from decades and decades ago in the United States. A ruling class used to be based on dollars and cents. You know, the wealthy, they stood up there. They got to say anything, do anything they wanted to, break the laws that they wanted to break, and never got held accountable. Well, now the left morphed that, but they didn't go back to equality. After all means, equality means that everybody gets equal footing in everything. You don't necessarily get the same things, but you have the opportunity to achieve the same things that everybody else does if you're willing to pay the price. But they won't talk about that. A little bit later in the show, we're going to talk to you about their love term and their love theme, which is equity. Equity, they want us to believe, is the same thing as equality. But they're 180 degrees apart. Here's the difference. Equality means just that. Everything, everybody is equal. Or Everybody and everything has access to everybody if whoever wants those things is willing to pay a price to get those things. Equity, on the other hand, what that means, it snatches equality away, and whoever's snatching it gets to stuff the equality in their shirt pocket and replace it with equity. What is the difference? Equality, it's not to be manipulated. 
it stands alone. It's kind of like truth. We tell you here all the time, truth exists in a vacuum. You can't manipulate the truth. You can try to and call it truth, but it's not truth. It's not sitting in its pure form. Equity, on the other hand, is determined by somebody. Somebody gets to arbitrarily decide what equity is and who should get their version of equity in place of equality. That's the world in which we live. You're going to hear from some people about some of this in the show today. Victor Davis Hanson, one of my favorite, he's a fellow at uh, the Hoover Institute out in Northern California of all places. Who would think somebody that was a conservative thinker would actually be living in and working in California, right? Well, he's going to talk about that in the version of tribalism. As we go up to that part in the show, I want you to go into it, understanding what tribalism is, and we'll give you the definition in just a little bit. But there is a conundrum that came out of California yesterday. It's not Victor Davis Hanson. It's nothing that he would say or I've ever heard him say. This one is pretty nasty, and in my opinion, it's pretty stupid. What is it? Well, Democrat lawmakers in California, they're going too soon, we hear, nix a law that requires health providers, every health care provider. That would be, oh, I don't know, a first responder called to a scene where somebody's injured or a nurse or a doctor or somebody in administration at a hospital. Health providers. They're going to be stopped from reporting to law enforcement officials when a patient of theirs is suspected to be a victim of abuse. Now, the law now says anytime, and this is nationwide, this is all over the U.S., no different in California. These Democrat lawmakers want that law nixed in California. In other words, you can't report to authorities Anytime you have a patient that you either know or suspect is a victim of abuse. This is untenable. It's Assembly Bill 1028, authored by Representatives Tina McKenna and Buffy Wicks. It would eliminate the mandate. You got to do it. That's what a mandate is. The mandate for healthcare practitioners to report to law enforcement if they suspect a patient that comes in has sustained physical injury due to assaultive or abusive behavior of others. If that bill gets signed into law, it would criminalize health providers for notifying law enforcement about potential patient victimization, reversing a existing law that makes failure to report these things Illegal. I have no comprehension of what the impetus for killing this law that protects innocent people. Why would they do that? Now, the bill doesn't apply to situations where patients have sustained wounds or physical injuries because of self-inflicted acts, firearm-related incidents, child abuse, sexual assault, or elder abuse. 
Proponents of the bill argue it'll help victims access help by removing police officers as the first solution. Here we go. Here's the gist. Here's the purpose. Cops. Critics argue it'll just become another way these types of cases are going to slip through the cracks, leaving the most vulnerable, like kids and battered women, in the hands of their abusers. This is good news for abusers, terrible news for the abused. So said Republican Senator Melissa Melendez. Human traffickers will love this bill. Instead, as outlined in the summary part of the bill, if healthcare providers think a patient might be a victim, they'll offer brief counseling before a warm handoff. <laughs> hey, let's just sing a verse of Kumbaya. Let's hold hands in a circle. That's what they're calling a warm handoff or referral to a local domestic violence advocacy agency. Forget about breaking the law. Somebody beats up on a child, shoots somebody in anger. Can't even report that now to the law. Oh, my, 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 my. What? Where are we going? And what is this world coming to? Hey, sit back, go grab that extra cup of coffee, and just enjoy a little bit of this.
still has a great family. One young child was playing in the driveway and a teenage child in his family backed out of the garage not seeing the other child ran over and killed that child. (laughs) Name of that song he wrote is With Hope. We never do this, but I think it's appropriate. We um, we need to listen to that in the context now that I've told you what it's about. We need to listen to the words to this song that Stephen Curtis Chapman wrote about not just one, but two family members. One died, and the other one was the one who accidentally killed that family member instructions from a dad to moms and dads everywhere and not just moms and dads but all of us even if we're not parents when it looks like nothing good can come of it there is good this is not at all how we thought it was 
plans for you. We had so many dreams, and now you've gone away and left us with the memories of your smile. And nothing we can say, and nothing we can do can take away the pain, the pain of losing you. Say goodbye with hope. We wait.
heroes. I couldn't do that. My God. I wonder how long after that accident happened he wrote that song. <laughs> wow. Hey, just a little calmer there in the middle of uh, insanity everywhere around us. It's good to um, think about things like that, face reality in a world of confusion and anger and hatred and vitriol and pontification about everything and putting people down, not recognizing people's rights, just demanding they adhere to your definitions. It just gets taxing on us all. It's really difficult. And with all that being said, have you noticed how the left has the ability to control the news narrative every day? Think about it. We know the stuff that's going on and the days that these things get a lot of things as part of them going on and being talked about often calmly and quietly behind our backs And then some of it slips out into the blogosphere and we hear about it, we think about it, talk about it for a day or so. And then, not because it's disappeared, but conversations about it has disappeared. One of those, have you noticed this week? No Hunter Biden stuff. We haven't talked about Hunter Biden this week. And it's Thursday. Is that all resolved? No, it's not. In fact, it's way, way, way away from getting resolved. So with all the money today being spent on brain science, you'd think it it just might have occurred to some to look into whether there's a link between attention deficit disorder and being a Republican. Now, wait a minute, Dan. You're not going to attack Republicans. No, I'm not. I want to get you to think. There might not be much you can do about it, but understanding goes a long way. Understanding what? Attention deficit disorder and being a Republican. So analyzing the right-wing commentary in the hours and days after our Attorney General Merrick Garland declared the need for a special prosecutor to oversee the Hunter Biden case, that's a perfect example of its distractibility. The old saying, keep the first thing the first thing, doesn't seem to be something this admittedly bright group understands. Instead, Republicans have a propensity to dive cheerfully into the weeds at every opportunity and forget about the other stuff. No need for us to name names. These people know who they are. Watching and reading their comments every day regarding the appointment like of uh, special prosecutors and whether Delaware U.S. Attorney David Weiss is legally eligible to hold a position that he has just been named and is enormously frustrating as it takes their eyes off the ball. You know what the correct response to Weiss being named special prosecutor, regardless of his eligibility, which he's not eligible based upon the rules of who is going to be and can be a special prosecutor. It has to be somebody that comes from outside the government. Weiss is right in the middle of the government. 
any diversion in the conversations about that. It's a welcome conversation. To have the Attorney General finally recognize, finally, what the rest of us have known for months and months and even years, that Hunter Biden needs to have a special prosecutor to really be investigated. The various allegations made about him and the possibility the man who is now president may have and probably played a role in all or some of those activities, it must be fully and thoroughly investigated. And it's a long overdue development. Whether the federal code allows Weiss, who is already a current federal employee, to become a special prosecutor in the context of what we're talking about today, it's unimportant. It happened. We got to deal with it. It's not a matter for prolonged discussion since A, other federal employees have previously served in that position, and B, the time available to force the younger Biden to answer for his alleged misdeeds, and I'm being kind when I label them that, it may be coming to a close. In other words, we got to make hay while the sun's still out. Don't forget, we've been here before. Remember the Clintons? The Republicans breathlessly chased after each and every unfolding allegation that involved Clinton potential corruption, sexual misconduct, and even perjury. The Republicans were like they were chasing a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. We got to get Bill. We got to get Hillary. Any pretense of message discipline, a term widely understood by professional communicators, it went out the window. Republican pundits allowed the producers at CNN, Fox News, MSNBC to determine each night's discussion points. Now, for those who don't know, there's a reason politicians and advocacy campaigns keep talking about the same points over and over and over. It takes a while for them to penetrate. Saying something one time, moving along, is almost as bad as not saying it at all. You've got to hammer it and hammer it and hammer it into the heads of the people you want to really hear it. The only point in talking about whether Weiss can be the special prosecutor or should be, because his investigation so far hadn't done a thing, he's been investigating Hunter Biden for three years. Did you know that? Connect it back to the first thing. That's all Weiss needs to do. Whether Hunter Biden is a criminal and whether his presidential daddy was part of it, if there was anything to be a part of, and whether members of his father's administration are using the powers of their office to cover it up. All else, everything else in this is commentary. If we just unveil, if David Weiss, if he's going to be the guy, if he'll just pull the covers back and just show us all the stuff that's in there, not try to frame it, not try to present it in one political perspective or another. Just throw it out there and let the world see it all. That's what needs to happen. And short of that, we'll never know the truth. 
The inability to focus for long on anything, it's a problem for Republicans. It always has been. And this whole thing is about more than Hunter. It infects the party, the political party, by taking communication cues from cable television channels rather than the tried-and-true practices that have helped with campaigns and elections. So unless and until that changes, until Biden's critics learn how to keep the first thing the first thing, the people who can stay on message, some people call them Democrats, and I'm not in that crowd. I don't think Democrats stay much on messaging myself. I think they're all over the place, if not as much as Republicans close to it. Whoever can stay on the message, the first thing. Now, when we say the first thing, that means the very first thing that popped up, that started a conversation. That's where we always end up eventually circling back to. Why get off of that first thing at all? And unless Republicans will make a determination, make a choice and do just that, Guess what? They're going to continue to win the big arguments again and again and again. Big arguments. And that infuriates me. I, sometimes I launch into a rage over that. I cannot, I'm one of those A, B, C, D, E, F, G guys. I'm analytical in my thinking. I start over here. Well, if this is this, This must be this. And if that is a combination of this and this, and then the third this, then it all makes sense and we put it all together. And if it doesn't, you just pull it out of the line. I'm an analytical guy. Politics isn't. I know you probably figured that out for yourself by now. (laughs) Oh, well, people are individuals. People are people and not Everybody is wired the same and has the same propensity for this or for that. I get it. I understand it. But the story we're going to talk about next, we're going to go to a break when we come back. We're going to talk about one of the biggest debacles in not just decades, but 100 years. More transgender chaos. I'm not even going to get into it right now. Don't miss this. It's up next. At Simply Safe, your safety is the only thing that matters. We design smarter ways to detect motion for emergency dispatch in seconds. We create HD cameras so you could see what's happening in your home from anywhere. All powered by Fast Protect technology, exclusively from Simply Safe for faster police response. Because in here, your safety is the only thing that matters. Advanced home security, 24/7 professional monitoring. There's no safe like Simply Safe. In the steel industry, we dedicate our careers to supporting this country, making products to build infrastructure and skylines, creating jobs, supporting families. And when domestic materials are used, the money stays in our communities. That's what really matters. These people, these places, that's worth supporting. 
we got you something. It's a deep, deep dish pepperoni and bacon pizza, and we gift wrapped it with over three and a half feet of bacon. You've been working so hard. We love you. Get a Little Caesars large bacon wrapped deep, deep dish pizza for just 12 bucks. Try our convenient app and pizza portal pickup. Pizza, pizza. Raid Shadow Legends. I mean, <laughs> you pick your champions, they're glorious, and their shields, oh, they glisten like uh, wet otters. But the bad guys, they're Lovecraftian, they're spooky, they're um, um, big. And then you go to battle, and it's like, then finally your foe is vanquished, and that satisfaction is such a primal feeling. Ooh, download Raid Shadow Legends. Play for free. The verdict is in. Good time. What do you think she spent the money on? Lipo and a butt job. You got as long as you need to respond to that. Judge Steve Harvey, new Tuesday on ABC. During the break, I was just sitting here thinking. And let me tell you what I'm thinking about. I remember back in, um, what was it, the 70s, 60s and 70s when we got into the women's rights thing. Oh, you remember burning the bra and all that kind of stuff. And we got the Title IX passed in Congress, which was to give all girls and women the same rights as men. And of course, even when the government says this is going to be so, we know that doesn't always happen. Not everybody listens to what the government says and push back, which there was massive pushback for years and years and years. But it seemed like finally, especially in college, high school and college athletics, and even past that, women begin to get a fair shake. And now all of a sudden, transgenderism, which is not a real thing, it's not a biological thing, it means you can just think it, and so it is. If you think or you want to be a male and your biology says you're a female, well, dadgummit, just go be a male, if that's what you want to do, and nobody can tell you otherwise. Of course, you can adopt that and try to live that, but you're living a lie. How do I know that? Dr. Anthony Fauci. Dr. Anthony Fauci taught me over a two and a half year period that I'm supposed to forget about all of my opinions and follow the science. And when he got pushed back for saying that, he even got a little bit louder, little bitty guy. Only way he thinks he can be heard is to get louder and louder, and he did. And when they questioned his instructions on following the science. He said, I am the science. So I, every time I think about something, a scientific issue, a question, I just automatically hearken back to what did Anthony say? (laughs) I'm joking. So now we went all the other way. If you think you're a male, well, just act like a male. Compete against other people that are males. They've got to respect you. Why? Because you think you're a male. And it looks like we're about to go back in the other side of that circle. What are you talking about? 
Well, this year's Berlin Swimming World Cup is going to feature an event unseen in the history ever in international swimming, an open category for transgender swimmers. Okay. Break it down, Dan. The event, what it is, is a culmination of world aquatics efforts to accommodate transgender competitors without allowing them to compete according to their gender identity. The swimming governing body announced the creation of this new category last year. It made it official Wednesday that the new category was open for the Berlin Swimming World Cup from October 6th to 8th. When World Aquatics instituted its policy on eligibility for the men's and women's competition categories, we committed to exploring the creation of an open category. That's from the World Aquatics president. True to our word, a team of experts has diligently worked to make this reality. I would like to thank all those who have helped World Aquatics to deliver this opportunity. So, what are the specifics, Dan? Open category swimmers can compete in all strokes at distances of 50 and 100 meters. And the open category will be open for just two days. The movement to an open category, it comes from the controversy surrounding the emergence of Leah Thomas. Leah Thomas is not Leah. Well, Leah is Leah because Leah wants to be Leah. Who, what is Leah? An American man who decided to identify as an American woman after an exceedingly mediocre stint competing against fellow men. Boy, does that open up Pandora's box. Shortly after joining the women's category, something the NCAA did nothing to stop him from doing. Thomas went on a tear. He beat Olympic-level female swimmers, breaking records, culminating in a 2022 NCAA Swimming Championship. Under the new rules laid out by World Aquatics, Thomas would be ineligible to compete. Oh my gosh. They're discriminating against a transgender male. So we're going to go back. We're flipping the narrative again back to what it was before. Billy Preston's song comes to mind. Will it go around in circles? <laughs> do these people not have anything substantive to do or talk about? <laughs> it kind of seems that way to me. Well, honestly... There are a lot of other things they could be talking about, but they just don't want to get their hands dirty. Louisiana U.S. Senator John Kennedy, he gets on television. They love to bring him on. Every network, every conservative network especially, they love to bring him on because he's a um, he's a Mark Twain of this era. The stuff that he says, it's so appropriate, everybody can understand it. And he gives us phrases and words that we can use to explain things that he always makes sound simple. Here he is talking about binomics. Look, folks, that's binomics. Binomics is just another way of saying restore the American dream. Here to talk with you about binomics, which is the word of the day, word of the week, word of the month, word of the year here at the White House. That's binomics. 
growing the middle class in this country. The architect of uh, Bidenomics is, uh, is Biden. Bidenomics, right? It kind of flows off the tongue. No, it doesn't. And when you take poll after poll after poll showing how Americans really feel, you know for a fact it doesn't flow anywhere off the tongue. The latest shows 51% show the economy is in a downturn and will get worse. That's how people feel. That's what they're going through. Those are the bills they are paying. Only 37% approve of how Biden is handling the economy. 30% approve of what he's doing for inflation. I don't even know what they see. Moody's Analytics says Americans are spending about $700 more every single month than they did two years ago. Economist Art Laffer. They should distinguish between high prices and inflation. That's the real difference. You see prices rise and then rising more slowly. And that's what people really care about. They don't care about inflation. They care about how high prices are. And prices are really high. They have the highest today they've ever been in U.S. history, period. Republican Senator John Kennedy from Louisiana, member of the Judiciary and Appropriations Committee. Senator, no one ever talks about the fact that, yes, inflation, the rate of it has come down to 3%, but it means we're paying 3% more than we did on the top of the high prices we were paying last year. Well, Harris, let me, let me say first quickly, uh, I listened to your, your clip about what's going on in Maui. Um, it, it, you know, it just breaks my heart. We've been through it in Louisiana with hurricanes. All, mm. all I can say to my fellow Americans in Hawaii is uh, you're going to want to give up at some point. Don't. Uh, just get up every day, put one foot down, then another foot. Uh, the American people will be with you. I'll vote to, to help you out in Congress. And I'm just so sorry they're going through it. Amen. I'm also sorry that the American people are going through uh, – through through the, through Bidenomics, Bidenomics is pretty simple. It's just bigger government, more spending, and uh, higher prices. And in, I've said this before. At least in Louisiana, inflation is gutting my people like a fish. Um, my people are getting really good at barely getting by. And in in America, you, you shouldn't have to take an early distribution from your retirement account or sell blood plasma in order to go to the grocery store. And President Biden is is out there saying prices are high and your 401k is crashing because the economy is so good. That's what he just doesn't get it. And 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 that's why he's polling up there, right up there with uh I don't know, yeah, with, fun, I, I, with I a mean, fungal it's, infection. It, it's inter oh, wow. it is interesting that he doesn't get it, perhaps, but then what about all the people around him? Are they not getting it, or are they just not truthful? We know that the well, administration— Go ahead. Sure, I'm sorry. No, you go ahead. I was just going to say, we know that the administration loves to say that inflation is trending downward. We know year over year, from July of two, 2022 to July of this year, the inflation, again— 3.2% after breaking it at peaking it at 9.1% in June of last year. So we're still now paying those prices plus 3% more. Everything is higher. It just keeps getting higher. But when you look at the numbers inflation since Biden took office, the numbers are staggering, Senator. Overall, inflation from January of 2021 when Biden took office to last month, are, it's up 16%. Food, 
at home, your groceries are up 20%. Well, my people in Louisiana, um, for example, the median uh, uh, household income for family for Louisiana is about 55 to 60,000 a year. Because of President Biden's inflation and Bidenomics, they're paying an extra $700 a month, 9,000 a year, and, and they don't have it. Yes, the good, the, the, if there's any good news, uh, the rate of inflation uh, has been falling. Now, what does that mean? That just means prices are still going up, but they're not going up as quickly as they were. <laughs> but these, I hate to say it, but these high prices, they are permanent. Even if inflation goes to zero tomorrow, mm. we're still going to be stuck with these higher prices, which are directly result of President Biden's economic policy. Um, and does the do the people around the White House get it? I think I think some uh, get it, but they can't defend it. Others just feel like. Um, their favorite form of spending, which is causing this inflation, is more, hmm. and they don't get it. But either way, uh, this is all. This inflation is a cancer on the American dream. And I will tell you, it's going to be. I know President Biden wants to change the subject in the election to President Trump and his indictments. But if you you ask me to to, to single out one thing that uh, is causing President Biden, as I said, to be about as popular as robocalls. It's his inflation. Everybody can't stand robocalls. Uh, just real quickly, what you said was really chilling, that these high prices are here to stay. And it makes sense, the disconnect between the White House and his team and his staff and what American people are feeling and paying. They feel the stubbornness of how much it hurts to eat and drive and do the basics in life. And they know it's not going away. And you said that quiet part that the White House refuses to tell us the truth about those prices. Senator, thank you. And, and, and in the meantime, all we get out of Washington is more indictments uh, of President Trump and all the sleaze surrounding Hunter Biden and uh, David Weiss. So, you know, here's where I am in this conversation. I asked the question, are these people stupid? Do they not see realistically what's right in the faces of all of the American people? Now, there are, there are certain people here, the well-endowed financially, and they got so much money, so much income coming in. None of this impacts them directly. It does, but it's so minuscule, they don't even pay any attention to it. It's not a big deal. Maybe in some places like Hollywood and particular places out on Long Island or Martha's Vineyard or some of those places, these people have buttloads full of money and they don't care. But to everyday Americans, and I'm raising my hand, I'm one of them right now, $700 a month more to get the same goods and services, that doesn't make any sense. And there is no way anybody's going to convince me that it's okay. It's good. That's not really the way it is. You just think it is. And Senator Kennedy told you that's the way it is, but it's really not that way. You need to listen to Joe Biden. The scary thing is that there are tens of millions of people that do just that. They listen to Joe Biden. 
and they listen to uh, Justin Trudeau up in Canada. Have you heard the latest debacle up there? Canada has a supercharged immigration percentage-wise even greater than ours. In numbers, we dwarf theirs. Canada's immigration is shrinking wages, hiking house prices, polarizing national polls. But the nation's establishment, the Joe Biden followers in the U.S., they're the Trudeau followers in Canada. They're demanding more illegal immigrants to build more housing in suburban neighborhoods. Now, it's the opposite of that in the U.S. Beginning with Barack Obama and Joe Biden in the White House back then for eight years, they started crying, we got to move people from the suburbs back to downtown. So here's the thinking in Canada. Quote, I'll sell off 6,000 federal buildings and thousands of acres of federal land to build, build, build. That's coming from Pierre Beauvray, the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. He said this just three days ago. My common sense plan is to require cities to permit 15% more home building per year, or I will pull back their federal grants. Those that beat 15% target will get a building bonus. I'll require every federally funded transit station to have high-density apartments around and even on top. We'll remove the gatekeepers. We'll build homes that our working-class people can once again afford, just like they could afford eight years ago. Polivray did not suggest any reversal of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's plans to import roughly a million permanent and temporary migrants into Canada's 40 million population. Even though the inflow has spiked housing prices, stall wages for ordinary Canadians. But the consumer economy stimulus is strongly backed by the nation's elite investors and landowners. Why? because it adds 10 migrant consumers and renters for every four Canadian high school graduates each year. In 2022, Canada's population grew by more than a million people, a number that included 607,782 non-permanent residents, 437,000 immigrants. Trudeau's answer? to this shortage of housing for Canadians and migrants? Well, extract more migrants from poor countries who can be used to build houses for the previous migrants. Without those skilled workers coming from outside Canada, we absolutely cannot build the homes, meet the demand that exists currently today. That's from Trudeau's immigration minister, Mark Miller. He also rejected calls for immigration cuts, saying, if people are asking us to slash immigration, what does that mean? Does that mean slashing the skilled workers that we need to build those houses, slash family reunification, which can be devastating for the mental health and well-being of the families that are already here? Of course, Canadian officials, they want the upper class, the specialist class, 
like doctors and nurses from poor former British colonies like India, Pakistan, Kenya, where locals face many health care shortages. Canada officials also want to get more doctors and nurses. They're also reducing the economic strain by directing unproductive Canadians into early death. This one is jaw-dropping. They're doing it through the government-promoted, quote, medical assistance in dying program. The very unpopular program killed almost 10,000 Canadians last year. But Miller also acknowledged wide-scale fraud in the immigration system. Well, of course, they took their cue from Dr. Anthony Fauci and company. So allowing the government to reduce the inflow of temporary migrants with temporary visas without blaming their high immigration policy. In other words, it's almost exactly happening the same way in Canada as is happening in the United States. We don't get facts here. Our government doesn't give us facts. Pierre Trudeau, Justin Trudeau, neither. Pierre, who was his dad, or Justin, neither one of them talked truthfully. They came up with a narrative just like our government comes up with a narrative. And sell, sell, sell. Facts, throw them out the window. They don't matter. And don't even look at your checkbook or your cupboards at home. You're doing great. How do we know that? Because your government is telling you you're doing great and getting better. Uncertain about what you see and hear in mainstream media? Worried about getting the truth? No worries anymore. Get the truth, only the truth, at TNN, the Truth News Network, at truthnewsnet.org. You need brake pads? We have brake pads. Like dependable brake pads, quieter brake pads, longer life brake pads, and performance brake pads. At AutoZone, we have all the brake pads you need so you can get the job done right. Get in the zone, AutoZone. So you guys grew up together? Yes, yeah, since third grade. What are you looking at? I'm not looking at it. We're not good enough for you. You look for something else? No, I, just, I don't know. What are you, big supermodels? Oh, oh, yeah. Jesus. Jesus. Supermodels. What do you model, gloves? What are you doing? A girl's totally into me. Brad, eat a Snickers. Why? Because you get a little angry when you're hungry. Better? Better. So, ladies. So, losers. Stacy, relax. Oh, sorry. You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies. It's amazing. He's talking about motorcycle insurance, and people love it. And of course, they love the savings they're going to get with Geico, but it goes beyond that. You deserve to save. <laughs> Heard that before. You deserve to save. I know. I need you to hear me. You deserve to save. I deserve to save. I mean, he has a way of making you feel seen. Bundle car and motorcycle insurance and save at geico.com. As politics grow ever more chaotic, remember this truth. When you're taking heavy flack, it usually means you're over the target. Open the Bombay doors. Truthnewsnet.org. Your pilot on this mission, Dan Newman. Watching and listening to the insanity coming out of this Democrat administration, just when I think I've got it zeroed in, I get it. Here's what they're thinking. Here's why they're doing what they're doing, saying what they're saying. And then Jean-Pierre comes out and she drops another bomb that I just go, oh, 
OMG. Wednesday's broadcast of CNN This Morning. Corrine Jean-Pierre, KJP, she said she thinks Biden's poll numbers are going to turn around because, and this is a quote, Americans are going to start to see the impacts of President Biden's economic policies. Although she did argue there has been positive economic news because of his policies already, and she stated that polling doesn't tell the whole story. You know the whole story, like the truth, which she very seldom takes. She tells exactly what whoever her boss is at the White House puts in that binder. You know, it's got every applicable title of anything that they need to discuss when they're in these uh, press briefings, and she just flips over and she answers a question with what's written there. Co-host Phil Mattingly up at CNN this morning asked, the thing that I think, and this has been an issue for you guys for the last two plus years, connecting legislation passed under Biden to how the public feels or what the public knows, if you look at poll after poll after poll, continues to be an issue. And yet there seems to be a sense inside the White House it's going to turn. People are starting to figure it out. How do you know that? Why? Honestly, Phil Matley, the co-host that asked that question, he's all over the place. I have no clue what all that meant. But Jean-Pierre answered him. So look, if you think about the Inflation Reduction Act, Yes, it's the one-year anniversary, and it's a key part of Bidenomics. That's also important to note. And look, we're talking about investing in America. We're talking about a fairer tax code. We're talking about the biggest, largest climate action investment ever, as we were just talking about what's going on in Maui and the extreme weather. These are all incredibly important things here. Here's an example, as I'll provide to you. The president was in Wisconsin yesterday. He went directly to the American people in Milwaukee. He talked about how the Inflation Reduction Act and also the bipartisan infrastructure legislation and also the Chips and Science Act, all of these important historic pieces of legislation are creating a manufacturing boom. Just look at Wisconsin. Look at Wisconsin. Companies are investing $3 billion in Wisconsin. 150,000, more than 150,000 jobs we've created in the past two years because of the president's Bidenomics, because of his economic plan. All of these things are important. 2.5% unemployment in Wisconsin. And you think about the national unemployment level, which is way, way down low. It's under 4%. So this is what the president's going to continue to do. Talk about how his plan is investing in America. It made me almost throw up a little bit in my mouth when I just read that quote to you. Why? These people, including her, including her boss, and including Ron Klain or whoever replaced Ron Klain as Biden's number one go-to guy or girl. Oh my gosh, I messed up the pronouns. I might have offended somebody. (laughs) They're just mouthpieces, sharing things, talking points, no substance, 
no answers for real issues, and the only solution that they can offer the American people about anything is throw money at it. You got a problem? Let's throw money at it. Let's just throw another few billion dollars out there. Oh, that's just a matter of a few more zeros, right? It doesn't work that way. You can't spend your way out of inflation because spending is what causes inflation. And yet Jean-Pierre is out there. She's telling us that exact thing. Look, look at how great the economy is under President's Bidenomics because of his economic plan. What economic plan? He wants to do the Robin Hood thing. We go steal from the rich and give it to the poor. And by the way, one thing I, I've just got to mention to you, I'm not, I'm not a big uh, stock exchange guy. I've been in the stock market most of my life in some way or fashion. I get it. If there's something there I want to invest in and I think it'll be good at some future point, I do it. But my life doesn't begin and end in my stock portfolio. I'm not one of those people. And I'm not putting it down. I'm just saying when the value of something I have is determined not by me or anything I do, but somebody else's opinion about what I've invested in, not the fundamental facts about it, I got a problem with that. I know me. I trust me. Can't say that about everybody out there that's talking about it. And I'm tired of Corinne Jean-Pierre, everybody else in the Biden administration saying, we're investing. We're investing in this and that. Look at the investments that we have made. Look at the good things that have come from that. You can't invest money that is not yours. It's not investment. It's called borrowing. It's calling tax and spend. The Biden administration hasn't invested a dime into anything. First of all, the money they are spending, not investing, but spending, it's not theirs. The only way you can invest is if it's something of yours that you choose to invest. The money they spend, it's not theirs. It's not an investment. It's borrowing money that we, the people, have got to pay back. Not them. Not them. I'm going to switch topics. It gets boring to me to talk about that. Let, let's talk about something that has some zing in it. We've already had John Kennedy on. He's always refreshing when he comes out with some of his witty things. Our folks at Sky News... They jumped on something I've not heard anywhere else. Former President Donald Trump has vowed to release irrefutable reports on election fraud charges. Now, that's a direct quote. He vows he's going to release irrefutable report with evidence on election fraud charges. Now, wait a minute. 
He just got indicted again and again and again and again and again, four times, a bunch of different uh, criminal allegations in each of these four indictments, and he's still saying there was election fraud. Do you think he's stupid? By the stuff that he's done in his life, by the things he did during his administration, you know the answer to that. He's not stupid. He's brilliant. So what's he got up his sleeve? Well, Donald Trump has promised to release a report into what he claims is election fraud in the American state of Georgia. Former president received an unprecedented fourth indictment over his alleged efforts to overturn the outcome of the last election. On truth, he's responded overnight saying, based on the results of the conclusive report, all charges should be dropped against me and others. There will be a complete exoneration, he assures. They never went after those that rigged the election. They only went after those who fought the riggers. Joining us live now, former White House Deputy Chief of Staff under Donald Trump and Bondi Partners Managing Director Emma Doyle joins us now. Emma, good to see you. Thanks for your time this morning. So how does this one compare to all these previous indictments? This is a really different indictment. And I think that's that's a very important question. Um, first of all, this is most importantly for Trump. This is the one where he can't pardon himself. Um, this is a state indictment in the state of Georgia, which has a very... Um, bizarre pardon process within the state. So this is the case where he's really the most likely to face actual prison time. Um, So that makes it very different for him. But it also might be the one case that's televised, which means it's the one where the American people can actually watch the proceedings in an environment that Trump can't control. So it's very different from the other three indictments we've seen so far. Well, I mean, he's going to come up with the same argument, though, that, uh, you know, it's a witch hunt. The Democrats are after him. After him, it is political. Any of that true? You know, I I think his voters certainly think that that's true. Um, And there's some American cultural things that play into that that I think make people more likely to at least give some credence to that argument. But that's a political strategy. It's not really a legal strategy. And he's going to need a legal strategy because he needs to he needs to win an illegal proceeding, not just in the court of public opinion, which is where he's fighting right now. Despite all of this, though, he is still the Republican frontrunner. He is. Um, He continues to fundraise. And again, the political strategy remains the same. It is appealing to his voter base, um, asking for money, continuing to say this is about people going after him because he's fighting for you, the American public. Um, It's been very effective for him so far. So he continues to rise in the polls. It remains to be seen, though, with the speed that the prosecutors in Georgia want to move on this trial if that momentum would hold, if people actually see him being arraigned or see him on trial or possibly see him behind bars. Mm. How do you, I mean, you know him, how do you think he would be behind the scenes at the moment? Oh, I think he's, he's very angry right now. I think he's probably both angry and concerned um, because again, he, he knows that there's a possibility that if he's convicted in the federal charges, um, he could pardon himself, even though there's no precedent for it, it seems to be permissible. Um, He can probably win the case in New York. It's just not as strong of a case. Um, There's not as much legal precedent for bringing something like that. But this is the one that has the the possibility of real consequences that he may not be able to find a trap door out of. And do you support him at all as a a former staff member um, under him? Do you support his efforts to to run again and, and, and buck against all of this Look, as a, as a lifelong Republican, I think my, my goal is to see a candidate who can win a general election. 
Um, and I, I don't know if that's the case right now with him. I think that remains to be seen. So I think that's that's why that's one of the things that the Republican National Committee looks for in debates is a pledge that candidates will support the eventual nominee of the party because we all want to see somebody who can get across the finish line at the end of the day. And it's not clear right now if that's him. Rudy Giuliani, Mark Meadows, also involved in uh, the racketeering. Is it any more or less serious for them? It's very serious for them, and it increases the risk for Trump because uh, there's an incentive for co-defendants in this type of case uh, to turn on Donald Trump and exchange for a lighter sentence for themselves or uh, lighter consequences. And I think that's absolutely a risk, particularly with Mark Meadows, who has a history of doing that kind of thing throughout his entire political career. I'd be very concerned about him if I were Donald Trump. And just finally, I mean, what, what are you expecting to come from Trump next week? I think trying to release a report is a very risky legal strategy. It might sound like good political strategy, but again, you're doing the same kind of behavior that is listed in the indictment. Um, and you've got to remember that you're talking to potential jurors. I think it's a very, very risky thing for him to do. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure it's going to go the way that he wants it to be. Um, I definitely don't think it's going to result in the charges being dropped. So I don't see total exoneration uh, being the goal that he achieves here. Okay. Emma Doyle, appreciate it. Thank you. I wanted you to hear her comments because she, again, is a former Trump um, staffer. So she knows things that you and I don't know because she was on the inside. But I, I wanted you to hear somebody that is a Republican talking about what they think Donald Trump is up to and what he's going to do and why. Here's the common thing that I'm seeing now and hearing now that I've never seen or heard it like it is in the past. Never seen it this way. Donald Trump is confident. Now, I'm sure he's upset because there are too many moving parts. He can't possibly know what everybody is thinking and what everybody's plans are. And it's a very broad and wide landscape of negativism that he is going to face. He's facing now, but when this litigation starts, this criminal trial stuff starts everywhere that it's going to happen, it's going to be a tough road to hoe. But you know what's unique to Donald Trump? Yeah, he's a multi-billionaire. No question about it. He's been very successful in a lot of his business ventures, not so successful in his personal relationships with the ladies in his life, but it seems that he and Melania have got a good relationship worked out through years, and they're going to be okay. But Donald Trump is very confident. He is what we call street smart. And he's one of those people that can walk outside every morning, lick his finger and stick it up in the air and finds out from which direction the winds of good things and the winds of bad things are coming from and make educated choices and decisions. And I'm going to sum it up by telling you this. If Donald Trump says he's going to issue a report that contains irrefutable election fraud charges and evidence. That's not Donald Trump spitting in the wind. That's Donald Trump putting people on notice that he's got something. Hmm. Letting them know they probably don't know everything they think they know. And he's going to throw some stuff out there 
that is going to mess their thinking up. Don't think for a second he's going to go down easy. I don't think he's going to go down. I had this conversation last night. I went to Monroe, Louisiana to watch a football jamboree and riding back with three other people in the car an hour and a half drive, we got to obviously talking about politics and Donald Trump and this entire thing. And the consensus in the car was, and I'm not, I'm not perfectly familiar with the uh, politicization of those, everybody that was in the car with me, all three of those people, but I do know they're good thinkers and they're very honest thinking people. And they feel pretty much the same way I do. This thing's far from over. It's far from over. And they're expecting Donald Trump to come out eventually on the high side of it all. Why would they feel that way? As you just heard this former Trump staffer say, it's all piled up against him. It would be uncanny if he can find a way to crawl his way around in and release things and get information out there sufficient to get free from all of that. But it starts with this one thing, and they're not considering this when they start pontificating about he's toast. Anytime you hear any of these people in media today predicting he's going down, they're not reasoning through the whole process. Most of the charges that have been levied against him will be dropped. I'm not a constitutional expert, but I do have the ability to open a book, go read some things, some factual information about specific legal matters, look at the constitutional precedents that have come up through the years. A lot of the stuff they've thrown at him. It's been little more, if it is any more, than just throwing it against the wall and praying and hoping that most of it, or at least a big part of it, sticks. They are chomping at the bits to get Donald Trump. They'll consider their lives successful if they do that. Now, put in perspective what that means for you and me. They're attacking all of the policies that Donald Trump made when he was in the White House. Those things that he promised us all when he was campaigning. If you elect me, here's what I'm going to do. Bam, 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 right down the line. Every one of those things he promised us he was going to do for the betterment of the people, for the betterment of the nation, to pull us all together once again headed towards that goal of being one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. And we watched it. It worked. When Donald Trump was president, you were paying $700 a month less to live your own life than you're paying under Joe Biden. Now, is not that substantive? If you're a thinking American, aren't you already looking at that and comparing? I know you are. Everybody is. Your circumstances are your circumstances, and they're important. You're a fool if you don't live your life making the best that you possibly can within your own circumstances. We're all on that same road. 
And when you put that in context and look at all of this litigation that's been thrown at him, literally, it's it's just like they're out there throwing as much as they can up against the wall, and they're doing it not for the betterment of the American people, but this attorney in Georgia, she's doing it because she's running for re-election. And she needs to do some big stuff to build up her acceptability among her would-be supporters sufficient to write checks to get her reelected. I promise you that's what it is. Jack Smith, he's doing what he's doing as a special counsel because he's an idiot, and that's what idiots in this case do. He's got a speckled past He doesn't have any good successes at going after evil people in his entire legal career as a public prosecutor. Go look him up and look at the cases he's done. Much of his litigation, much of his stuff where he took on big-name, high-level people were reversed in courts. Two of them by the U.S. Supreme Court unanimously. Throw it against the wall. Pray that most of it, if not all of it, sticks. And if it does, you're a great success. That really sounds like a good way to live your life, doesn't it? In the middle of all this stuff, it keeps coming up the same thing, different chapter, different verse, but from the same book all the time. It deflects our attention from other really important things, like this one, House and Senate Republicans have teamed up now to crack down on the FTC. You know what for? Destroying documents related to congressional investigations. Kind of like, you know, Hillary. Deleting 39,000 classified emails. Top Republicans on the Hill are vowing a crackdown on the Federal Trade Commission for the destruction of documents related to a congressional probe. By deleting documents, the FTC likely violated federal law. It also impeded congressional oversight of the FTC's recent unprecedented actions, including a proposed rule banning non-compete clauses. Now, this is a really big deal. You know what a non-compete clause is? In my company, we had non-competes that every employee signed. That meant that if and when they left our employment and went to work for another company, maybe one of our competitors or not, all the stuff that they learned from us, they could not use in that new job. And they could not go to work for any of our direct competitors. That is the law in Louisiana. And it stands up, even though Louisiana is a right-to-work state. Congress and the public deserve an explanation of why the FTC improperly destroyed records. What records it improperly destroyed? What steps are going to be taken to ensure it never happens again? This is from a letter Ted Cruz, Senator Ted Cruz of Texas, joined by Representative Jim Jordan of Ohio and Chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, James Comer, who's a Kentucky Republican and the Chairman of the House Committee on Oversight 
and accountability. The letter by these legislators comes about a year and a half after the FTC's in-house watchdog, OIG, Inspector General, found multiple failures in the FTC's record-keeping process. GOP alleged that the FTC improperly deleted documents that Jordan had already requested in relation to the agency's new rule that would ban private sector employees from requiring workers to sign non-compete clauses that restrict them from working for competitors or starting a new business that offers similar services for some specific period of time. Back in February, Representative Jordan said the rule would wipe out roughly 30 million existing non-compete agreements. And while the FDC highlights estimated benefits of the rule, made little efforts to quantify the cost, according to Jordan. He said the rule exceeds the commission's delegated authority and it imposes a top-down, one-size-fits-all approach that violates basic American principles of federalism and free markets. If you've never been involved in a conundrum like this with no compete clauses, who fights against that? Who fights against it? Think about it. In our company, still going today, 32, 33, no, 32 years later, we have some of the employees there that were there 32 years ago. Now, why would they stay? They like the job. It pays well, good benefits, great working condition. Why change? Why go somewhere else? And what we do is very intricate. It's very specialized. And we have clients in very competitive sectors of our society, our businesses, and they're all in competition with each other. So we have to be careful the people that work for us don't carry out our processes and walk out if they get disenfranchised or upset or get mad at a fellow employee or a boss or whatever and go across the street and start a company that goes in direct competition with us. We've got a bunch of money invested over 32 years in our company. We've got a lot. I've got a lot. (laughs) And so it's just not fair. Well, on a national level, who doesn't like that? Think about it. Who doesn't like that? Who are the big proponents against allowing that to happen and continue? Labor unions. Labor unions established years ago to be the arbiters of all the working class people. We'll take care of them. We'll make sure those evil business owners, corporations, they don't take advantage of workers We're going to lobby for higher pay, better benefits, shorter work weeks, shorter work days, all kinds of egregious requirements of these employers because all employers are evil and they want to take advantage of their employees. That may have worked out in the early part of the 1900s. And there's no doubt about it. Unions were good and necessary back then to take care of our uh, our workers, blue-collar workers working on assembly lines, working on individual hard jobs that not a lot of others wanted to work on. we got to take care of them. And on the most part, we do that. But some of the biggest corporations in the United States are the ones that are 
they're initiating and maintaining the push for illegal migrants to be allowed to come across the border. You know why? Because they can pay them under the table with cash, not pay them benefits, keep them quiet, and get workers doing the same job, in many cases better, but getting them way cheaper. It's just a vicious cycle. I wanted to point that out to make you understand. Joe Biden is sold out to labor unions. He brags about it almost every speech he gives. He talks about, I'm a blue collar. I'm a labor union guy. I have been since I got in into the U.S. Senate. I'm one of those people. We're the backbone of the nation. We're the ones that makes it happen, yada, 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 yada. And the FTC, his FTC, just mysteriously lost a bunch of documents that were under subpoena by Congress. Sound familiar? It does to me. I told you at the top of the show, Victor Davis Hanson is going to join us. He's going to be here in just a couple of minutes right after this on TNN Live. And Victor Davis Hanson, talk about a wise man. When he speaks, I always listen up. He's next. It's amazing. He's talking about motorcycle insurance, and people love it. And of course, they love the savings they're going to get with Geico, but it goes beyond that. You deserve to save. <laughs> Heard that before. You deserve to save. I know. I need you to hear me. You deserve to save. I deserve to save. I mean, he has a way of making you feel seen. Bundle car and motorcycle insurance and save at geico.com. Drinking water is essential to your health. That's why you need to drink plenty of water to keep you hydrated throughout the day. Unlike power drinks or soft drinks, water is truly the only drink that can quench your thirst. It's an easy, refreshing way to keep your body healthy and strong. Freshen up today with a brisk, cool bottle of water. Off to gang and showtime. Uh, do you know this guy? I'm not going to cry, am I? Only if you don't believe in the power of friendship. Really? You guys are good. (laughs) Movies right when you want them. Watch unlimited movies instantly for only nine bucks a month from Netflix. That's so cute, it's stupid. This is your home. This is your family room slash gym. The guest bedroom slash music studio. The day bed slash dog bed. The living room slash yoga shanti slash regional office. How did you guys do it? Slash classroom. And this is the basement slash panic room. Maybe what your family needs is a vacation home slash vacation home. Find yours on the Verbo app. Saying it out loud. No spin, only the truth. Again, Dan Newman. Told you Victor Davis Hanson's got a lesson for us today on tribalism. So what is tribalism? You see and hear people on the left talking about tribalism all the time. 
Tribalism is the state of being organized by or advocating for tribes or tribal lifestyles. Human evolution has primarily occurred in small hunter-gatherer groups as opposed to in larger and more recently settled agricultural societies or civilizations. In other words, like-minded people that are after the same or similar kinds of things. With a negative connotation and in a political context, tribalism can also mean discriminatory behavior or attitudes from within members of the tribe that are negative attitudes for people that are also members of the tribe. So put that in the political context. Put that in the lifestyle context we see around us where everybody's kind of part of a group and they look at everybody else in another kind of group and they don't like it. Victor Davis Hanson weighs in on that. So how did this happen? How did we start to retribalize? I think part of it came out of the 60s that in the eagerness to create parity, groups that were extremists said, you know what? It's not enough to be equal because we were unequal for all these years, so we have to be more than equal. I think most Americans were willing under the Johnson administration to say, okay, we'll have a period of 10, 20, 30, 40 years of institutionalized prejudice. And we won't call it that. We won't call it quotas. We'll call it affirmative action. So if somebody is not of the majority ancestry, i.e. white, then we will give extra consideration given the idea of past bias or maybe the fumes of present bias. And we were all accepting of that. But as the so-called white population started to, in proportional terms, decline a little bit, and more and more groups decided that they were victimized, then the number of people with complaints against the majority grew. I think it's often underappreciated that during the Obama administration, specifically 2009 to 2016, a radical concept emerged that really threatened the very foundations of U.S. citizenship. And this was the idea of diversity. Remember that affirmative action had been focused and targeted on the idea of the historical sin of slavery. And the idea that because people looked African, they were not fully American. In the United States during the Civil War, the efforts to stop Jim Crow, the Civil Rights Movement was trying to erase that blemish from its history. But under the idea of diversity, other groups that were not African-American, not the 12% of the population, but other groups that were, quote, not white, were suddenly aggregated. And so the number of people that had claims on the majority for past grievances were anybody that was not white. And think what that entailed. You could emigrate from the Punjab and you could sell your farm for $200,000 an acre and be quite wealthy, arrive in California, and suddenly you were diverse. You would never experience discrimination in the United States, but you were diverse. Why were you diverse? For one reason, you were not white. At least you could claim you were not white. You could come from South America. You could be a Chilean aristocrat. You could come from Brazil. You could be a doctor from Nigeria. 
and all of a sudden, whatever your particular ethnic heritage was, you were beyond the old binary that white America was trying to come to grips with the prejudice shown and discrimination uh, institutionalized against Native American people and black people. And so diversity said 30 to 33 percent of the population now doesn't feel part of America because we feel as non-white people that whiteness was toxic. Okay, notice what it does. It destroys entirely the concept of class. Remember what Marx said, that the story of history is a binary. It's one of oppressors fighting oppressed, the exploiters fighting the exploited, the victimizers warring against the victimized. And it's all based on money and class and privilege. But when you apply that to the United States, it never really worked not with a huge middle class that was the basis of, found, of citizenship, not with the idea that race in the Constitution is not mentioned, it would be incidental, not essential to Americans, not anything. But all of a sudden when you change class considerations and you say class doesn't matter and class is no longer synonymous with race, we could say maybe in the early 20th century still, or the 19th century, people who were not white or recent immigrants or their descendants from slaves economically faced greater obstacles. But today, for example, the highest income group by ethnic ancestry are Asian Americans. If you look at the fastest income gains of the last 20 years, they occur in Asian Americans and Hispanic Americans. And so what I'm getting at is race and class are not the same. And yet we're supposed to look at race now as victimizers. And so all of these anomalies appear. We're in this Orwellian world where Oprah Winfrey from a $90 million home in Montecito is talking to Meghan Markle from a $15 million home in Santa Barbara nearby. And what are they talking about? All of the injustice and the oppressions they've suffered as people with African-American ancestry. But their very status belies that fact. Or we have LeBron James, who's worth a billion dollars, who tweets and he goes onto Facebook and says how unfair the United States is and how discriminatory it is. But remember, class and race are not identical anymore. And so I'm speaking from Hillsdale, Michigan, and when I ride my bike, I see some of the poorest people that I've ever seen in rural Michigan. They happen to be white. It's indifferent to me. But where I live, there are Mexican immigrants that are far wealthier in California. And yet we're going to back to a tribal identification that has nothing to do, in many cases, with victimization. And we're saying if you can posit a tribal identification, then the state or the government or the people owe you something. And this is headed for... Uh, disaster. We know that from history that tribalism, tribalism inevitably will end up like the former Yugoslavia or the strife we saw in Iraq or Rwanda. There we go. We know what tribalism is, and now, thanks to Victor Davis Hanson, we know that it's in some cases it's like um, well Donald Trump has how did this whoa 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 don't step on me in some cases it's like racism and it's 
weaponized against Welcome other people. New Fox people. News polls this morning. One finds what nearly 40% of voters now. the world is happening? Now. My system is going crazy on me. I apologize for that. Anyway, talking about tribalism, it's a lot like racism. It's a lot similar to people looking down their noses at other people because one sector thinks they're better than the other sector instead of just being everybody all together, just being one. Hey guys, thank you so much for being here on Thursday. We had a full day. By the way, Congressman Mike Johnson will be with us next week again, maybe giving us an update on all this Donald Trump indictment stuff and a whole lot more. We'll be back tomorrow morning, 9 to 11 a.m. as always, right here Monday through Friday. See you then.